Well, the madness has officially arrived. March Madness is here. It's kind of like uh, Christmas Eve morning. Or right now, actually, I'm recording this pod. It's Tuesday night after midnight, so I guess technically it's Wednesday morning. I went to a, a San Antonio Spurs versus Orlando Magic game tonight. I hadn't seen the news about DeAndre Hunter, who was, as you probably know by now, ACC Sixth Man of the Year. Um, Virginia is one of Virginia's top scorers, third or fourth in, on the team in scoring. He broke his wrist. He will be out for the entire tournament. Massive blow to a team that I had going all the way in my personal bracket and winning it all. So uh, that's the craziness that is March. It's unfortunate for the Cavaliers, but uh, it is what it is. And it's what makes this tournament so amazing is the, the unexpected always comes out of nowhere and things happen that no one can plan for. There's really no sporting event in the world like uh, college hoops, this March Madness that, that's about to take place tomorrow on Thursday. And I remember in college, my college buddies and I, we'd basically be stuck to the couch for four days um, for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that opening tournament, skip classes, order pizza in, eat leftovers, drink beer, watch games. And it's just those first two days, especially that opening round, there's nothing like it because there's so many possibilities. Brackets aren't broken yet. Uh, there's so many different exciting things that happen within the, that first round and upsets. And that's what makes it the craziness that is March Madness. And we're about to experience that again. So buckle up, college hoop fans. This is going to be this is one of the best times of the year. And I hope you get just the time to be able to get out and watch some of these games. Enjoy it with your buddies, your friends, um, because it's going to be a crazy tournament, especially this year. Now, the title of this pod, uh, Analytics versus the Eye Test, and I'm not pitting them against each other necessarily. I think you can do combos of this, but if you're in it to try to win the bracket, uh, analytics cannot hurt. Again, if you've heard any of my pods from the MIT Analytics Conference, you know I'm a big believer in that. Now, there is no sporting event that is harder to predict than this one. Um, Part of the reason for that is just there's so many different possible outcomes, uh, bracket outcomes. In fact, the number is this. I want to read it to you. It's 9 quintillion, 223 quadrillion, 372 trillion, 36 billion, 854 million, 775,808. And that's the possible, the total possible number of outcomes that you could have with uh, filling in these brackets. That's because there's so many different games that are involved in this. It's basically the size of the the known universe. And so as a result, any professional better, anyone who knows that this is harder than any parlay they'll do, it's uh, one of the toughest things to predict. And that's what makes it so fun and so crazy and such a a great time to be a, a college hoops fan. So anyways, having said all that, I do want to give you a couple disclaimers before I go into uh, some of the, the things that I th- that I'm going to suggest for you to use some strategy points, um, some objective data inputs to use when filling out your bracket, um, because everyone does it. And why not use the good stuff and the best stuff, the stuff that people who do this for a living and actually make money at it use. And so that's what I want to hit today. But this season, obviously, college season has been so unpredictable, the volatility and the Weekly top 25 rankings, it's commonplace throughout the season. One team goes up and then is knocked out immediately when getting into the top five or top 10. And so obviously, what does that mean? Does that mean there's going to be more upsets for this bracket? Does that mean uh, when you're filling out the bracket, you should just go with your gut over employing a strategy uh, based on historical data and advanced stats? 
yeah, it's it's called March Madness for a reason, like we said. But it, the truth is, it never hurts to be well informed, and it, you might as well. You're going to use data points and things. You're going to use the eye test on some of your stuff uh, when you're filling out the brackets. At least those of you who follow follow college hoops. Why not use the things that will help you to have a better chance at succeeding? It doesn't mean you will because the odds are so great in these brackets than you're playing against. So even in, so for example, you're playing in a uh, even a small bracket with 20 people. The odds are if you everything being equal, no outside variables, you should have a 5% chance of winning that bracket. Now, if you did a 50-person pool, everything being equal, the odds, the statistical odds should be that you should only have a 2% chance to win. Now, you can increase those odds. You really can with using certain strategies by employing certain data. It's ironic to me. I'm a big fan of uh, CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball, their pod with Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish. But Parrish went off um, on Tuesday about how it's just completely lucky. There's no strategy. Don't listen to anyone who has data. And then he went on to give a bunch of data and why he believes in Ken Palm and why Duke's going to win the national championship. And so anyways, you're going to, everyone takes bits and pieces. We put it into our, and we use our own variables to determine who we think is going to win. Um, but I want to just give you some parameters that more than anything will help you to increase your odds of having a chance to win. Now, obviously not every single person, all the, all the analysts you hear on TV and all the prognostications they make, uh, there's, they can't watch every single basketball game. There's over 4,000 college basketball games in a season and no human brain can process all that data. And so what we're going to try to do is give you some of the, the most well accepted data resources that are used to predict these kind of things and then give you some parameters on strategy to plug in that will help you to hopefully do better. This is all a process. I called my brackets online. My last name is Tippett. I called them Tinkering Tippet because I'm tinkering. I'm planning on putting in uh, 20 to 25 different models using all different variables uh, this year and seeing what comes out of that and seeing. And, and the truth is every tournament's different. So just because they work for this tournament doesn't mean they'll necessarily work for all of them, but I do think they'll give you a better chance at winning. One last thing before I go into uh, some of my pieces of advice for strategy and then also which analytical tools to use is uh, I did subscribe to teamrankings.com. I wanted to see their model. They're well known for DFS and betting and all this stuff. And uh, I wanted to see what they came up with. And it really, when I was using the process that I used here, it was very similar they had an interesting. They have an interesting article that I have up on our website at Shades of Orange on uh, strategies to employ. And this is one of the things they say to watch out for. I just wanted to read this quote to you from their website on this because I think it's a great piece of advice, especially when you're filling out brackets. And this is what they say. They say they have this thing called the not so golden rules of bracket picking. Um, and they say these are the things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't listen to. And uh, here, here's what they say. They say, quote, the cherry pick data trend. And the last four tournaments, all 16 teams that made the final four averaged more than 85 points a game against conference opponents. Team X doesn't fit that model. Um, they say, ignore that. The seed-based historical trend. Every other year, a 15 seed has, beat, has beaten a two seed, and it didn't happen last year, so it's due. The narrative-driven subjective opinion trend. You need to pick teams with momentum, teams that know how to fight when they're down and have the will to win. The oversimplified coachism, defense wins championships. Uh, it says They say the not-so-golden rules are almost never substantiated by enough hard data to conclude with high confidence that they're actually predictive. Look hard enough for a juicy-sounding stat trend, and you'll usually find one. 
but it's often just the result of a random chance. It's just the noise, as stat geeks like to say. So don't let yourself get charmed by sexy sound bites about bracket picking. If it sounds too rule driven and automatic, it's almost certainly bad advice. And I just I think that's great because again, with a lot of those things that were in there, the whole cherry picking data trend or the um, narrative driven subjective opinion trend or the oversimplified coachism, they're all based on small sample sizes as well. In fact, one of them coming in this tournament is the last seven play-in games, which has only been for seven years. They've all had at least one upset in the opening round, so everyone's going to pick an upset this year. The sample size is too small for for that not to necessarily be noise, and so you need to be careful. I do use some historical trends in my analysis for uh, seeds, but it's over a long period of time so that there's not just a small sample size so that it's not necessarily just noise that you're listening to. Now let's jump into the six strategic variables that I think you should consider. Again, I have a curated piece on this and it goes more in depth on Shades of Orange. So you may want to go check that out at shadesoforange.us. But the first one is this, the first strategic variable that I'm putting into my brackets this year is you need to understand the implication of your office pool scoring system. So that's the most basic premise you need to know. A lot of scoring systems are the basic 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32 points. Or if you're on ESPN like I am, it's the 10, 20, 40, 80, 160, 320. So basically every round's worth the same, uh, 320 points in each round. And really what that does and what that tells you right there, everyone concentrates on the first 16 games. But if you just get one of your two NCA finalists right, that's the worth the same as getting an entire 16 first round games right. It really means you're not going to win your pool unless you do the late picks right. And those are the ones that you need to spend the most time concentrating on and uh, planning strategy towards. If it is a flatter system, then early round games do have more of an impact. And so you need to take that in consideration. But the vast majority are the typical uh, system that I told you about the 320 points or 32 points by round. That really means, especially from Elite Eight on, those are huge uh, decisions that you make and that will determine how you do it in your pool ultimately. A second strategic variable that you want to consider is your pool size. And that determines how risky you're gonna, your pick is, picks are going to be in your bracket. The general rule is the larger the pool, the more risk you need to take to improve your chances to win because you got to you got to stand out in larger pools because there'll be so many different variations. Uh, it also means you have your odds are less, obviously, um, to win. But if you are in a small bracket pool, and, and typically the what people consider a small bracket pool is 20 or less, mid-size is 50, uh, 21 to 50, and then anything above 50 is considered a large normally. So if you're in, in small to even medium, you want to be conservative with your picks. And it means a lot more chalk than what people actually do on a, on a usual basis. And so anyways, if you're in one of those large pools, go have fun, be a little crazier, make some of those wild upset picks that everyone loves to do. Um, but if you're especially the smaller your pool, the more conservative you are, the better chance you're going to have to win. And again, doesn't, that doesn't mean necessarily that you pick chalk for every game or the better seed for every game. What it means is identifying solid value picks in the early rounds and then limiting dark horse gambles in the later rounds. That's the essence of what you have to do um, in some of those smaller pools. The third strategic variable that I just want to encourage you with um, when doing this is consider using a contrarian approach when making a few of your picks. 
And this is completely for strategic purposes. Now, to win a bracket, you don't necessarily need to pick 70, 80 percent of the games right all the time or whatever the arbitrary rate of success is. What you need to do is you need to pick the right games more than however many opponents you have in your pool. And so obviously, as it gets into larger pools, a 500 person pool, you're going to want to look and see what um, some of the undervalued picks are and what people are picking. And so that you are more unique in your picking, because that's the only way you're going to stand out. Obviously, you've got to get the right picks to win this thing. In smaller pools, you want to, this doesn't come into play as much, but it really helps, especially as you get to the later rounds and as you're gauging. Um, for me, it's kind of that last variable. If all things being equal, if all the metrics say one thing um, are pretty equal, then that could be the thing that helps to put you over the top. So, for example, one of the best value picks this year in the tournament is the Purdue Boilermakers. They've only been picked by 3% of the public to win it all. Yet, when you look at the best analytic predictive tools out there, things like ESPN's BPI, they give them a 10% chance to win it all. Uh, Ken Palm gives them 7%. 538 gives them 5%. Team rankings gives them 6%. Um, and so on. And real betting markets will be close to that same percentage. Now, you may say that's a tiny percent, but there's only a handful, maybe 10 teams out there that any of the betting markets or any of these predictive analytic tools will say actually have a shot and produce one of them. It may not be the smart pick overall, but again, that is a value pick, especially within when you're in a huge pool, like a 500 person pool or more. That's a team to consider. Now, the fourth strategic variable that I'm using to do my own pools is a little trickier and you got to be careful with this one. Like I said, you can be used to your detriment rather than to help you have better odds, but you do need to consider the historical averages of upsets per round when deciding on how many upsets to pick. Now, again, like I said, that's qualified with, you want to make sure it's a large enough sample size so that it's not just static that you're, that you're basing your reasoning upon. There's this great article that appeared on NCAA.com and I want to give you uh, their ground rules for an upset and some stats that go along with this and how this will be used to help shape how many picks upsets I pick per round and so on. But in this article, they said that they defined upset as when a winning team in an NCAA tournament game was seated at least two seed lines higher than the losing team. There's so many matchups like the 8-9 matchup. Any betters, all of them are basically, they consider them pick em games uh, a lot of times. And four or five matchups, one-two matchups. There's the seeding so close sometimes in these games that it takes away from the spirit of a true upset. So using that definition of an upset, what you've had in 26 of the last 33 seasons, there have been somewhere between 10 and 16 upsets in the tournament. There's an average of 12.7 upsets per year. Um, You've had as few as four upsets in 2007, and you've had as many as 19 in 2014. And again, this year, I know because there's been so many upsets in college ball, um, one of the things I'm planning on doing to be contrarian is I think a lot of people are going to pick a ton of upsets. And I think in some of the games and looking at the metrics, there may not be a massive number of upsets as people think there is going to be. Going back to principle number three is you can just use an overall strategic principle like, okay, I'm going to pick a number. If you think it's going to be a ton of upsets and you want to go higher than that total upsets in the entire tournament of 12.7, then you may pick 14 or 15. Um, You may pick less than that. You may pick eight or 10 and do something like I'm doing and go be contrarian in that way. If you know what the historical data is, that helps you to know 
whether or not you're too far off base uh, when making a lot of these upsets. Now, in the first round, there's been an average of 6.1 upsets. The minimum that ever happened was there's two only uh, upsets in 2007, and there was 10 in 2016. Again, it's using that criteria that it's two seed lines higher than the losing team, so an 8-9 game doesn't count. So first round, you have 6.1 as the average. Second round, 3.6 as the average. In the Sweet 16, you have 1.6 on the average. And then the Elite Eight, you get 0.9 and the Final Four, 0.3. So as you go further into the rounds, basically it halves everything as far as upsets. And so you need to be careful on how many of those you do. Now, another historical average when it comes to seedings that I find interesting is how often the first round upset happens. Everyone always talks about the 12-5 and they use recent stats on that. But if you look over the period since 1985, the percentages of which seeds upset others in the first round, especially the number 10 seed upsets the number seven seed 38.6% of the time. You have the number 11 seed upsetting the six seed 37.1% of the time. You have the number 12 seed upsetting the five seed 35.6% of the time. Then the odds drop drastically. 13 over 4 is 19.7%. 14 over 3 is 15.9%. And then 15 over 2 is 6%. So really, your odds are in that 10 to 12 range um, between close to 39 and 35 and a half. And that's where your sweet spot is. And that's where the vast majority of upsets will happen. So it gets a little trickier in the second round. Basically, what you have is you have stats like this. You have a number 7 or a 10 They've upset the number two seed 41 times in the last 33 years. That's one and a quarter per year. And then if you look at the six and 11 seed line beating the number three seeds, that's happened 43 times, which is 1.30 per year. So basically history tells us you should probably consider picking one number two and one number three seed to lose in the second round. Then uh, 17 times the number one seed has lost in the round 32, which means basically every other year. Um, you have an eight or a nine that knocks off a one. Now, again, you may have other factors that you want to consider in this, but these are things that you just want to look at that will help to inform you as you're thinking through how many upsets to make. The fifth strategic variable that you may want to consider using is check on what the Vegas betting spread is for all the games with a specific focus on the number six. Now, I want to give you a stat based on betting lines. This is a stat that's been based since 2009 on all opening round games which is a lot larger sample size than I, than we were talking about earlier with those seven playing games that happen. And so it, there is a lot more that you can glean out of this. But since 2009, the betting favorite in the opening round has been a winner in 73.2% of the games. So almost three-fourths of the games. But what you can tell where there's a difference where the edge comes in is the cutoff spread of six points. Teams fared by six points or more. During that time period, they've won 87.7% of their games. Teams that are favored by less than six points, they've won just 54.1% of those games, which is close to a coin flip. So one of the criteria I'm using in my brackets this year is any of the betting lines that are below that six, those are the ones that I'm considering for an upset because it's closer to that coin flip, whereas the ones that are above six are closer to that almost 90% range of not happening. Not that it couldn't happen, but the odds are a lot less and um, you're reducing your chances to actually get pick right on one of your upsets. This final strategic variable that I want to encourage you to use, or at least uh, consider using, is when picking your final four, make sure you have a lot of chalk, but definitely not all chalk. 
give you another stat. In the past 15 years, every national champion except one was a one, two, or three seed. The exception was Connecticut when they were number seven seed. You want to take that out even further, you've had 91% of all tournament winners since 96 have been a top three seed. So basically, the vast majority of the time, your odds are much better if you pick a one, two, or three seed to win it all. Also, as far as the final four goes, if you're picking one seeds, this is one of the reasons you don't pick all chalk, is it rarely happens. Um, it's three quarters of the time. It's either there's one one seed or there's two one seeds. So those are some of the strategic variables that I'm going to use to put parameters around what kind of bracket I'm going to build. But then what really matters is the data inputs that you use. There's a gazillion articles and pods out there doling out advice on what kind of data points to consider. Like we talked about, some of those are red herrings, in my opinion. But uh, how much information is too much? Should you just go ahead and fill out your bracket? Again, This I know this is for fun. And so for me, what one of the things I'm going to do is I'm filled out a bracket called 0.8 head, 0.2 heart. I'm doing one called half head, half heart. I'm doing all different variations. And again, you'll want to you'll have things that you want to use from your own eye test. You're going to want to consider matchups and all of that kind of stuff that typically what you hear on pods and what you hear on the TV is all about the matchups, which is important. And that's to me another layer underneath all of this. But to take a step back, you got to consider what inputs you're going to use. And so we're going to point you towards Again, there was we have an article on our website on Shades of Orange that have five data inputs that are predictive measures that are universally accepted as the best ones in college basketball. I'm only going to talk about four of them here. Um, one of them you can check out. It's called March Mathness. It's by a Davidson professor where he uses the Massey and Coley methods to predict. And you can go on their website and predict your outcomes of your brackets. And they've had a lot of their students in the top two, three, four, five percentiles on ESPN throughout the years using these mathematical formulas uh, to predict their brackets. But I'm going to point you towards things like 538, which is on ESPN accepted. You have the BPI, which is accepted as one of the best predictive measures, things like Ken Palm, and then u- utilizing betting lines as well. So what I'm going to do is go through the entire bracket, and we're not going to go by regions. I won't spend a lot of time on, in fact, I won't spend any time on matchup analysis. That's, I would love to do a pod on that. And that's the eye test piece that we're talking about. But again, on the whole eye test thing, if you live in, like I live in Texas and I watch a lot of Big 12 basketball, there's that whole bias of regional where you are and you tend to elevate those things. There's the recency bias of, I remember last year watching all the conference tournaments, uh, the vast majority of them. And again, when I was doing my brackets, I didn't set these parameters and it influenced my brackets as a result of um, some of these conference tournaments and what I saw recently. So you may see a team, you know, I could see a team like Kansas State or TCU or whoever win five times. And I've seen play five times, five or six times this year. And I've seen win every time. So that's going to influence me. And so anyways, you got to just be careful when with your own biases. And then, of course, you're going to want to have fun. So you want to invest your heart in some of this. But use be smart about how you invest your heart and which teams you're going to pick and which um, upsets you're going to pick as well. So what I want to do is I want to go through an actual bracket. But I want to do it differently than what you've heard probably on most other pods. I want to go through it using these six uh, strategic variable criteria that I talked about and then using some of these data points, um, the 538, the BPI, the Ken Palm as predictive measures for who I'm going to pick. And it's not going to I'm not going to go down by each region, west, south, 
Midwest and East. Instead, I'll go through uh, seed lines and talk about that because it all relates to how many I'm going to pick per round and uh, for my bracket as a whole uh, when I'm talking about upsets. So having said all that, let's just assume I'm going to have assumptions as we're going through this that it's either going to be a small pool bracket of 20 or less people in your bracket or 50 or less because that's most office uh, pools out there, even though obviously there's some really large ones. But we're just for the sake of brevity and time for this pod, I'm just going to assume that it's one of those two things. Again, if you make that assumption, then you're going to be more conservative. There's going to be a lot more chalk. And as we go deeper into picking, that means you're going to pick a lot more chalk as you go down the line, um, because that's what matters the most is those later picks. Again, that is based on having a scoring system that is your typical general scoring system like ESPN uses, which is 32 points or 320 points per round and they're all equal and there's no variables for when you pick an upset for for that uh, counting for more now if that happens in your bracket you want to definitely consider more upsets but again all of these things shape uh, how you pick your brackets so let's just go through and let's start with the opening round again the opening round isn't as important as we go later on but let's go through this and talk about it now some of the other parameters that we talked about as far as strategic variables are the average amount of upsets that happen. And in that opening round, you get somewhere around six on average. When when I say an upset, obviously, again, the qualifier being that it's a two seed line difference. Um, so an eight and nine cannot be considered an upset. So I take that into effect. And I'm thinking, OK, what upsets from 10 through 16 should I be looking at? Then I start to put in that other strategic parameters that that we talked about earlier one of them was that it needed to be six points or less in order to have a closer to a coin flip chance of winning that upset now if it's more than that then i'm looking at close to 90 percent 87.7 percent that i'm not going to get my upset right so i want to play the odds as best as i can and so that's going to be a consideration so i'll look at the spreads on all the different games then another thing that i'm taking into consideration is that 13 through 16, basically 16, obviously there's never been an upset there, but even a 15, you only have 6% chance, historical trends say that you'll have a 6% chance of that happening in any given year. And it goes all the way up to, but it's still under 20% on that 13 seed line. So that right there puts a red flag on me. And I, I go and I look at the betting lines and I see that there's no 13, 14, 15, 16 seed. That also uh, another factor is under that six point spread. So you take that into consideration and you're like, okay, then where do I want to leverage um, my bets and hedge my bets that there's going to be some kind of upset on? For me, that means I'm going to leave it within that whole 10 to 12 range parameter. So then I go back and I look at the 10 to 12 range. And this is, again, my first line of using the Vegas lines. And then I'm going to go in and use BPI 538 and Ken to see what they say and what their predictive measures are for these first round games. But just starting off with the baseline of uh, the betting lines, when you look at that, so let's start with the 12 seeds. On the 12 seed, you have Kentucky and Davidson. Kentucky's a six-point favor. Their opening line was a five and a half point. So they fit within that range. Only other 12-5 seed game that fits within that range for a potential upset is Clemson, New Mexico State which is Clemson's a five-point favorite right now. The other ones, West Virginia, the Murray State games, 10.5-point favorites for West Virginia. And uh, the other 12 seed, 
game, Ohio State and South Dakota, Ohio State's an eight-point favorite. So that right there puts red flags around me for the whole Ohio State and West Virginia upsets. Then I go look at those other three predicted measures, uh, Kim Palm, BPI, and 538, and I see what kind of metrics they are saying, seeing if there's any differences in what they're predicting. And when you look at that, um, a team like Ohio State has a 77, 80, and 74% chance, according to those three metrics, to go to the next round. And also a team like West Virginia has 84, 80, and 71% chance, according to those metrics. But then you look at a team like Clemson, they only have 62, 74, and 66% chance, according to those three predictive measures. And then you have a team like Kentucky, which has 76, 58, 63. So there's some variance there. Again, both of those Kentucky and Clemson teams line up with the whole betting metric. And so for me, even though I've seen some of these teams play and I'm partial because I like New Mexico State, if I were to pick a 12 seed, um, I would pick either New Mexico State or Davidson because they fit within all these criteria. Now, taking a step back, if I'm going to do the more conservative strategy, like I talked about, that's contrarian and not pick as many upsets, then I may not even pick a 12 seed upset. I may save all my upsets for the 10 and 11 seeds because I think actually there's quite a few 10 seeds that have a good chance of winning this year. So if you look on those lines, if you're going to be a little bit more wild, you want to pick probably a Kentucky or um, at least the odds. Again, not saying this will happen for sure, but the odds are better that um, Kentucky or Clemson will be upset. And then you go to the 11 seed line. And on the 11 seed line, you have uh, Florida and St. Bonaventure. I haven't looked at the line actually tonight, but I'm sure it'll fit within that six point spread. Uh, you'll have uh, TCU and probably the winner of Arizona State and Syracuse will fit within that spread. You do have Miami, which is two and a half point favorite over Loyola Chicago. Again, another thing I consider when I'm looking at all this, Loyola Chicago only has 30% of the people on ESPN right now that are picking it to win, yet their odds are higher according to BPI, according to Ken Palm, and according to 538 to have a shot at winning. This. I've seen, actually, I like both of those teams a lot, uh, that whole bias of who you watch and stuff. I've seen both Loyola, Chicago, and Miami play. But then I also, can, you have to consider the factor that one of their best players, uh, Bruce Brown's hurt for Miami, and that makes a difference in, in uh, whether or not they're going to win. So I look at that and I say, huh, that's a team that I, that's Loyola's one that I, I'm going to take a risk on. Even though Loyola, out of all the double-digit seeds, has the best odds of winning, according to Ken Palm and 538 and BPI, they have a 40, a 42% and a 49% chance of winning that game. You're still, think about that. The odds are that you're going to lose in that because it's under that 50% mark. What I try to do is I try to pick those odds of teams that have the best chance of winning. The last 6-11 matchup is Houston Cougars versus San Diego State. Now, Houston's only a four-point favorite right now. But part of the reason why I would not pick that upset is because then I would go to that whole Ken Palm BPI 538 and see what their percentages are of what they think who will win. And when you look at that and you compare it to Loyola versus Miami, this is what you get. Miami as a six seed only has a 60, 58 and 51% chance, according to those three predictive measures to go to the second round, whereas Houston has a 71, 74 and 66% chance to go to the next round. Obviously, still, you could pick Houston uh, to be upset, which I know some people is a popular pick. 
to be upset. I, again, I've seen them play so much. And so the whole eye test thing to me just validates they're they're one of the ones that I actually like um, from the heart perspective to maybe go to the sweet 16. But when I'm looking at the metrics, it also says that. And so I would have, I would want to follow that, even though it's a team that I like for me personally, for the 10, seven seeds, uh, I have three of the 10 seeds that I think uh, that's where I'm picking upsets on. Um, you have the Nevada versus Texas. That's a pick em game. I'm picking Texas, even though Nevada is one of my favorite teams. I actually like them even more than the Longhorns, who I do root for as well. But um, I love their positionless basketball, Eric Musselman. The metrics to me say that that's a good pick. You have Arkansas versus Butler. And actually, Arkansas, Butler is a one and a half point favorite. Again, all the metrics point to Butler being a slight favor in that one. To me, that's playing your odds well because you're getting a lower seed, a 10 seed as one of those upsets that actually has the odds in their favor to win. And so I'm picking them. And then the third one, which this is more heart than head, is uh, you have Rhode Island, Oklahoma. Again, that's another one that's been a pick em. It's risen a two-point favorite for Rhode Island. Oklahoma's playing horrible. I always like to root for the underdog. I know everyone, Trey Young's gotten so much negative heat. I'm not even a big Oklahoma or Trey Young fan. If I'm going to pick one that that has decent odds um, that I want to root for, that's where I would use my heart sometimes and throw that in. And so that's one that I would pick there. Now, if this were a Sweet 16 game, I would take a lot longer look at the metrics and the data, and I would use that, and I would uh, overrule my heart on that because that's much more important as far as a point value of how much you're going to get for your brackets. The last 7 and 10 team you have, which I will go with the chalk on that one, is Texas A&M versus Providence. A&M is a three and a half point favorite, but they also have the three other metrics that back them up to be the strong favorite in this game. And so you take a team like I was telling you about where you have a butler who, according to BPI, Ken Palm, And 538 has a 60, 61, and 56% chance to get to the next round. Then they say the same thing about the 10 seed Providence. This is what they say the percentages are 42%, 37, and 38% chance to get to the next round. So for me, that Butler game is a lot better predictive measure of what could happen according to the data. So to recap for the first round, if you're playing the percentages, I would pick primarily 10 and 11 seed upsets playing the highest odds as far as upsets of what could happen you'll have Loyola Chicago as an 11 seed and then you have those three 10 seeds that I mentioned um, Texas Oklahoma and Butler for chances to win their games of course you can always take the 12s the two 12s that we talked about with Davidson and New Mexico State Um, but again your odds are decreasing as you look at the numbers and go deeper into uh, higher seeds so let's go ahead and talk about the second round and uh, just a quick side note I mentioned to you at the beginning of this pod that I use team rankings. I paid the $35 fee to get their professional assessment. I put in my criteria. I put in different type of brackets that I was going to do. 50 people uh, in one and 20 in another um, because, again, that depends on how they construct their brackets. And they use a lot of the same predictive measures that 538 and all these other predictive tools use. And they came out with a lot, 90 90 plus percent of the same outcomes that I had um, using this system that I'm telling you about for uh, what they would suggest that I picked according to the brackets to have the best odds. Now, they did say, obviously, you're, you're increasing your odds maybe three times, maybe twice as much to actually win. But still, 
when you have 20 or 50 people in there, the chances to actually win are going to be greatly reduced than it would be trying to bet on an NBA series or something like that. It's completely a different ball game. We're talking about March Madness. So having said all that, when you go into the second round, using all these other predictive measures that we talk about, um, obviously the betting lines aren't out, but you can still use Kimpom, BPI, and 538 to help you uh, see what the percentage chances are as they put out all these numbers on who will win, how great of a chance they have going to the next round. When you look at that, of course, this doesn't have the information of the new Virginia injury that happened. But once that's factored in, we'll see how that changes these percentages. But when you look at that, the team that's most vulnerable as a number one seed is Kansas um, to lose in that next round. They have, according to Kim Palm, a 59.4% chance to get to the second round, whereas in the, you have a greater variance. You have 538 says they have a 76% chance to get to the next round. So that's something I would take a look at. Again, I have a link in our curated piece that has all these data points. There's a Google, Google document that gives you all these numbers. Um, and you can look on our website and that will show you what the percentages are for each of these teams to get to the next round. You look at the number two seeds and Cincinnati is actually the one that's most vulnerable from a number two seed perspective. So if you're going to pick an upset, that's the one, according to the numbers, that I would pick. You look in the number three seed, and interestingly enough, the team that is most vulnerable is one that's a sweetheart of a lot of the prognosticators out there, and that's Michigan. According to Ken Palm, they have a 46.8% chance uh, to get to the Sweet 16, and 538, they have a 55% chance. Meanwhile, 76% of people who've filled out brackets on ESPN have picked them to go there. So again, that's another one of those value picks that people are overpicking them. That's why a team like Houston that has around a third of a chance, 33% chance, that may be actually a smart pick to make for an upset there. On the four seed line, the most vulnerable is Arizona, and that's partly because people have them playing Kentucky, and it's such a tight match. According to Ken Palm, they only have a 37.5% chance to get to the Sweet 16 and a 48.6% chance from 538. On the five line, the most vulnerable team is Ohio State, uh, 35.5, and 29% chance to get to the Sweet 16. But now as we get to the five line, we'll talk about the team that has the best chance because these would be upsets, and that is Kentucky. But then you factor in West Virginia's right after them, so they're real close in the metrics. But you factor in that they have a as far as an opening round 512 seed, have one of the best chances of losing. You got to consider that and that they're playing Arizona next. And so West Virginia is actually a safer five seeded team to get to the Sweet 16 than Kentucky would be, even though if they get out of their first round match, they have a slightly better odds. I've already talked about the six seed that has the best chance, according to uh, the various metrics, is Houston. And then your seven seed that has the best chance, according to the metrics, is Texas AM. For me, this round of 32, I'll probably end up going a lot more chalk than anything and have only one or two upsets um, as we go into the next round. Part of that is because, again, when you look at the historical data, only 3.6 upsets happen in the second round on average based on that criteria of a 2C line difference. So obviously it wouldn't be a 4-5 playing each other. That wouldn't be considered an upset. But for me, a team like Houston, that 6 seed has a has the best odds, again, to have an upset on this in this next round. And I'm going to give myself the best chance with keeping the teams that are favored, especially by larger margins um, going into the sweet 16. Now here's in the sweet 16 is where you need to spend a lot more time looking and there's less games. So you can spend more time looking at the data for this, but 
In the Sweet 16, the most vulnerable number one seed is Xavier. According to the metrics, Gonzaga has a better chance um, than Xavier to actually win and get past them and to get past Ohio State in the previous game. So you would have a four seed where that's a, a good potential upset. So, for example, Xavier has between 31 and 35% chance, according to the metrics, um, different ones, to get to that next round, whereas they have Gonzaga 33.4, 42 38.3% um, chance to get to the next round. Interestingly enough, a team like North Carolina in the West, who has the second best chance out of all the two seeds to get to the final four, according to the metrics behind Duke, they are the most vulnerable in this next round because the odds are that they would be playing Michigan, even though there's slight odds that Michigan could get upset the round before. If they do play Michigan, they would be the most vulnerable team that, that could lose. But if they get past them, then they have a great shot, according to the metrics, uh, making it to the final four. So these are some of the crazy factors you got to consider when filling out your bracket. And that's why it's important to look at the bracket holistically and to think through those different things as you're filling in each round. Your number three seed that has the most vulnerability is Michigan. Again, both of these two powerhouses playing each other. And so that's one to consider. And then your four seed that has the most vulnerability, according to the data, is Auburn. And so what I want to do now is I just want to go through the final four and give you teams according to each region that have a at least a slight chance. Um, anything below three percent there, I'm not putting in there for a chance. Unless you know we're talking Villanova when they upset Georgetown. If it's that year, then it's that year. But that happens once every forty years or so. Your final four for the South region. This is again before the injury for Virginia. They were somewhere between the forty-seven and 52 range percent chance to get to the final four. So they had a great chance. The only other team that had double digits in that region uh, to get to the final four was Cincinnati, 23 to 29% chance. You did have Tennessee who had actually had better odds, a little bit better odds, right under 10% in that range of getting to the final four. And Arizona was at a six between three and 6% um, to get to the final four in Kentucky, a 7% chance. So there's really only five teams, according to the advanced metrics and data, that have a shot to get to the final four. And so you want to play those odds accordingly with that. In the South region, your team who actually has the best shot is North Carolina to make it to the final four and second right after them. So they had the 25 to 30 range as Gonzaga, right in that uh, quarter range, 23, 24, 25 percent chance to get there. And third was Xavier. Um, that 18, 16% range right in that area. Houston, Michigan, and Ohio State were all close in their numbers on being able to get to the Final Four according to the advanced metrics. Um, in the East region, you have a team like Villanova that gets right at 50% odds to make it to the Final Four. But then you have a team like Purdue, twenty anywhere between that 20 and 30, early 30 range of getting to the Final Four. Your only other real legit teams that could get to the final four out of this is Texas Tech and Wichita State. But again, those are single digit percentages, five to seven percent range. And then in your final bracket, the team that had the best odds is Duke by a lot of barely over Kansas. Kansas has good odds um, in that 29, 37 percent range was Duke. And then Kansas was a little bit below that, uh, up to 31% chance. Then you had Michigan State, who has 25 around 25% chance. So they were close third, so there's three horses. And that, according to the best metric. Realistically, uh, the ones that are in double digits, you'll have Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, Purdue, Villanova, North Carolina, Gonzaga, 
Xavier would be right on the edges and probably the last one out of that. And then um, also Cincinnati and Virginia. Those are the ones you're going to want to pick for your final four. You're going to want to look at the metrics and see how that comes out. Again, that matches well. If you mix and match, if you only have one or two uh, number one seeds in your final four, that's an important metric to consider because 75% of final fours have either just one or two, not zero, three or four teams in there. And so that's uh, that you're playing the odds best when you do that. What I'm planning on doing is next week, we are going to do an NBA series on upcoming stars, but we're also going to revisit how these different pools that I'm doing, um, tinkering with using various metrics. I'm also going to plug in everything that I got from team rankings, what they do. I'm going to do an all chalk, um, hundred percent chalk, see how that does in the ESPN uh, brackets and what percentiles we're in. And we'll talk about that after we get through up to the sweet 16. So above everything else, my hope for you is that you do well, use some of these variables, pick and choose what you want, try, test, tinker, have fun. Make sure you catch as many of those Thursday, Friday games as you can, because there's nothing like it in sports. My hope for you is that you do well in your bracket, that you have fun more than anything with friends, lots of food. March Madness continues to bring us the magic that it does every single year. Until next week, take care.